Kids Nation, you guys are dismissed. Go run to your teacher. You got a little bit of feedback here, Pastor Brother. Amen. I'm excited to be here this morning. I hope you are. And you're like, oh, it depends. You like the worship now, Pastor Mike said. What's that? Oh, I heard. You heard that, Courtney? All right, let me get this stuff here worked out here. Hallelujah. Well, I am excited for us for a little bit because we get to go back into a series that we've been working on. Uh, it is the series on Peter, and I'm going to be here for a few weeks uh, before we take a break from it again. Um, and so if you would, if you have your Bibles, all that, go ahead and open up to First Peter. We may stay there for a minute, and then we might move on, uh, obviously, praise God. Um, but kind of just a backstory. If you haven't, if you're, if you're maybe new here or you've been out for a little bit and, uh, and, and you want to catch up, go to our YouTube page. We'll plug in there and go to our YouTube uh, and, and catch up on all of these. We're in week 11 of a never-ending message series. Uh, <laughs> praise the Lord. <laughs> praise God. That uh, it's really been good, and, and I have a, I have a tendency to trail a little bit. Today's not going to be any different, and I couldn't think of a better time to get into this passage of scripture that we're going to deal with today. Um, and well, we should get past more than one verse today. That's the goal. Um, I could really, you know, after going through this, I could we could probably teach on this for uh, man, it's just, especially in the days and times and the seasons that we're in. So before we get started, let's go ahead and, um, if you would, let's lift up a prayer um, to Israel. Heavenly Father, we love you so much, and we thank you that you are the line of the tribe of Judah. And Lord, we know, Lord God, that when you speak, mountains fall. And, um, and so we, we trust you. We trust you in uh, the events that are happening in, 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 our, in our world today. And we trust you, Lord, with the hand, and that in your hand is Israel. And Lord, our greatest prayer is that during this battle and during the things that are happening, number one, that you guard and protect them, but number two, and probably even number one, this probably needs to be the most important thing, Father, that they who do not know you, who do not know Yeshua HaMashiach, who do not know our Savior, Jesus, Lord, that they would come based upon this conflict, they would draw into you, and they would call upon you. And Lord, as you have done for centuries, that you would deliver them. But Father, we thank you, ask you to guard them. We ask you that you would bring shalom to the families who have lost so many and so much in that season, in that time. We love you, Father. We know, Lord God, that all seasons, times, and everything's in your hands. And Lord, we surrender our life to that in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Whoever's phone that is, please mute your phone. Hallelujah. We won't call you out or whatever. There's a phone ringing in the background. I hear it. I hear it. Either that or I'm just losing my mind, okay? So, and I'm hearing ringing in my head. He's like, all right, yeah, you're just probably doing that. We won't argue about that. Yeah. All right. Going into 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. Let's go ahead and begin. I thought this was working. Maybe if I turned it on. Yeah. Hey, that works a lot better there. There we go. So it says, you rejoice in this greatly, even though now for a little while it is necessary, bless you, have been distressed by very strong. This is how I get distracted, okay? So I'm just letting you all know. I mean, just you sneeze and I'm off, right? It's just like you go down a different trail. Uh, praise God. So you rejoice in this greatly, even though now for a little while, if necessary, watch the wording here, 
you have been distressed by various trials. Now, I don't know about you, but I think this is a great time to really deal with these issues. Because not only are, is this world in a place of trial, in a world of, we're in a place of testing. Uh, and, if, and if you think we're not, if you think this is just another, uh, just a normal day at the office in this world in, that we live in, you are absolutely mistaken. There is a testing, there is a trying that is happening right now in the midst of us. And I believe in, you know, that this is, it's, it's prophetic, um, it, the things that we're seeing in this world. And so that should challenge some of us. And it really should challenge us, man, to really, if we're not stirred up, to get stirred up. If we're not awake, to wake up. If our fire had been quenched, to get lighted, we got to get some things right. Amen? And I want to deal, I want to kind of hit on that for a little bit, man, because, uh, you know, we look at major catastrophes. We look at things around the world and go, oh, my gosh, that's so huge. But then we don't take that same ideology and bring it into our own life, things that are happening within our own world. The bottom line is, if you did not know this, you should know it now, that trials are inevitable. All of us will have a trial or in a trial or be a part of a trial. You're going to go through something. And I know what the faith-based world has said. I know what they've all, you know, this this ideology that has been out there that, you know, God doesn't want that. That's never going to happen to you. And, and you know, you're just, a, you're just a butterfly in this little world and sprout your wings and fly. And, you know, nothing bad's going to ever happen to you. And especially within our faith, right? We get saved and somehow there's been a lie that's been communicated from our enemy, Hasatan, that, you know, getting saved, your life is going to be okay. You're, everything's going to be normal. And, and when we go through a heartache or we go through trials or tribulations in our life, we want to rebuke them. We were like, oh, that's not for me, but I, I believe that that's wrong. I believe that thinking is, is false thinking, and I believe it, it produces an insecurity in our life where we're not trusting in what needs to be trusted in. And so I hope by now I've now got your attention because we need it. Trials, by definition, is this word periomios. It's a putting to proof by experiment of good, experience of evil, a solicitation, it's discipline, it's provocation, it's adversity, it's temptation. Wow. This is why I love words. Because in the Hebrew and the Greek, when we begin to look at words that, that have been written out, we miss some of the power and the essence behind a word. Why would Paul use this word about trials? Well, look at it. It's not just that, you know, your, your boss doesn't like you or you don't like your job. You know, sometimes we have these, um, the American trials, right? Or what I call first world problems, you know. Some of you may have had one of those today, right? You woke up this morning, couldn't find your charger for your phone. You begin to plead the blood of Jesus over your house. Lord, please reveal to us where is my charger, right? You went to the restaurant and you it took 15 minutes for you to be served instead of 10. You know, you went to Burger King, you didn't get it your way. Uh, first world problems that we were having in this world today. I don't know, it's just crazy stuff. Like, you don't know the persecution I'm under, Pastor Mike. You know, they sold out of my favorite item at the store or whatever. This is what we look at. We think that in America, man, we're under this major trial, man. And, and to be honest with you, we're, we haven't even seen what trials look like yet. We haven't. 
I understand your boss doesn't like you. I understand you may not like your job. I understand that you may be having problems within your home. I understand you may have problems with another brother or another sister. I understand all that, and I don't take that lightly. But let me tell you something. The trials that are coming do not even compare. Just whoever said that, you amen. That is absolutely right. We are just getting warmed up. And I want us to grab a hold of this. Trials are not for the weary and the weak. They are there to do one thing and one thing only. Really two things if I really wanted to do it. But the number one and the biggest one is to test you. To give proof to your faith. Testing gives proof to your faith. It reveals in the heart of a follower what they or who they trust in. So we should embrace these trials. We should embrace testing. You know, David said, and I didn't even use this in the scriptures, it says in Psalms 139, but he would say, test me, O Lord, try me. That's right. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me into life eternity or eternal. Here's the thing. That's a hard prayer to, a prayer to pray. It's a bold prayer to pray, right? I mean, because no one wants that, right? I mean, if we're being honest, no one wants that trial. No one wants that. You know, you pray for patience and you become the last guy in line. People cut in front of you, right? I mean, we don't want to, we don't want that trial. We don't want that patience, but we need it. And we'll see why, why that is important here in a moment. Going into verse 7, it says, These trials are so that the true, what? The true metal of your faith. I want you to hear that for a moment. These trials are so that the true metal of your faith far more valuable than gold, which perishes through refined fire, may come to light and pray. So here's really, we know the things that are typically within parentheses have been added. So literally you can use this and say, these trials are so the true metal of your faith may come to light and praise, glory, and honor in the revelation of Yeshua. You see that? Is it the thing that you're going to go through or the thing that we're going to experience, no matter how bad the catastrophe may be, is to do what? Is to give light to praise Yeshua. It's an opportunity to praise Messiah. It's an opportunity to step back and look in the mirror and go, what's really inside me? What's the depth of my faith? What's the depth of my heart? What am I trusting in? Powerful. Moving on to verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Now remember, this is Peter talking to the dispersed that are not even in their homeland. They're not in Israel. They've been thrown out. They've been ran out by persecution and are living basically in, in modern-day Turkey is where they're at, not their home country. And not only are they in a foreign land, but they're being persecuted in that land because the pagans don't want them there. And he's telling him that though, even though you haven't seen Messiah, you love him. And even though you don't see him now, epic life, people online, you trust him and are filled with a joy that is glorious, what? Beyond words. Have you ever experienced something like that? Have you ever got yourself in a place, have you ever experienced God's glory or, or this beyond word where you could not explain what God is doing in your heart? And no matter what's going on around you, people are looking at you as if you're some type of psycho because you're like, man, I'm praising God. I'm rejoicing. But yeah, you lost him. I know. This is what it means to get into this idea and it begs a question. Here's the question. What do you trust in? What brings you ultimate joy in your life? 
Maybe it's your children. Maybe that's where, I mean, you see your kids do something. Maybe it was walking for the first time, and you're like, yes, finally, I don't have to carry them around no more. There was joy that leaped up inside you. Maybe it's your grandchildren. Love it. Shake them up, send them home. The joy. Amen, grandparents, right? Am I wrong? Am I wrong? Come on, man. Shake them up. Sugar them up. Praise God. Send them on their way. Hallelujah. There's great joy in that. There's joy. And I don't know if it's a thick joy because you look at your kid and go, <laughs> you know, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's just your family. You just you, you have so much joy in, in your family, in the relationships that your family brings. Maybe that's where you find your joy. Maybe it's your possessions. Maybe it's your success. We all have something that we take joy in. Here's, here's the question, though. When that is removed from your life, where's your joy? See, because the, many, the problem with many of those, and there's nothing wrong with any of those things that we're talking about, is that they're all temporary. Even your children. Even your grandchildren. Even your very life. Even your spouse. Even everything is temporary. It's all, it's all you know, it's Ecclesiastes. It's, it's, it's all it's all temporary. It's all useless. It's all going to pass away. I want to challenge us today to review our heart and look into our life a little bit and ask the very question that we're talking about. What's important to you? What are you valuing? To truly rejoice and have this joy in you that cannot fade that or fail, it must have a more concrete Base. Enter Yeshua and his salvation. The greatest thing that has ever happened to any of us, whether you're online or in person, the greatest thing that ever happened is that we were guilty and we were found not guilty by the blood of Messiah. Our eternity was a question mark. Our eternity with our Father who created us, our Maker, was a question mark. But now, no matter what happens in this world, no matter what life or death may bring us, doesn't compare. It's powerful when we think of Yeshua because who being fully God became fully man. I love it. I was actually, you know, when you started talking, uh, brother, that I just started laughing because we were, I was asking my wife, like, I think he looked at my notes. This is how God works because, you know, God came down in the form of flesh and blood. Now, here's the thing about that, man. you got to understand is that he bore our burdens. He bore it. In other words, he understands the infirmities. He understands the trials. He understands the tribulation. Everything that you could possibly go through in a human emotion, Messiah went through. That's why it's so important that we understand when we talk about the word rejoice, the better word for rejoice could be translated as exalt. Uh, the word uh, uh, agaleo, in many contexts, expresses, watch this, a deep, settling joy which rests upon the assured hope of God's faithfulness. This takes a lot of faith. It takes a lot of faith to step outside of what the world thinks, what, the, what we even think in our human emotions, right? What our body is telling us, what our mind is telling us, and step away from it. That though chaos is all around us, we can rejoice. And not rejoice like, hey, thank you. We're talking a deep, deep sense of glory and exaltation. 
While this rejoicing can clearly be expressed outwardly in biblical context, it can often settle inward as exaltation resulting in praises unto God. It's deep down in your heart that no matter what you think, feel, or see, it doesn't change who you are. And it doesn't have an impact on who you are. It is what it is. That's faith. That's joy. I've been talking with people over the course of Sukkot and these fall thief days. One of the beautiful things that I've realized and, and we've talked about is how freeing it is for a person who gets to a place that when they think this way, when take it all away and your joy never changes. Your commitment to Yeshua or Yahweh is never changed. It never falls. It's like, take it all. Take it all. Even my life. Take my life. There's something freeing about coming to a place in our relationship with Messiah. Watch this. Where you go, if I die, I die. I mean, as the older we get, some of the older folks, can, the easier that is to do. And I know as young people, that's very difficult to do. But as you get older and you begin to trust in Messiah, you look around, it's all meaningless. It's all emptiness. It's all going to fade. It's all going to, nothing. Well, there's, what's the old country song? I think it's uh, never seen a U-Haul following hers. Is that right? You can't take none of it with you. Never. And here's a, a sad reality that's just, whoa, really encouraging for you today. Everyone in this room is subject to death. 100 people out of 100 people survey die. It's the truth. There you go. You're encouraged. God bless you. Have a nice day. Right? Like, geez, man, thank you, Pastor Mike, for that, right? But it's a reality check that we should have, that this life is temporary right now the way we know it. It will fade away. The only way to know whether we have that kind of joy and whether that, that, that sits inside our spirit, listen to me, is by trials. There's no other way to discover whether or not where our heart really lies until something comes into our life, something that we didn't ask for. Maybe it's sickness. And now, now listen to me when I say this. I'm not telling you that God makes you sick to try you. But it does happen. Sickness does happen. Death is going to happen. Loss happens. And he always uses those things to use. To, it's an opportunity for us to search our heart and find out where we're at. It's one thing to have faith with everything that's going your way. It's a whole different story when we, we come under pressure and trials begin to happen in our life. The experience of deliverance and the anticipation of salvation provides the most significant occasions for rejoicing among the people of God in the Old Testament. The coming of the Messiah who delivers his people and brings salvation becomes the basis for rejoicing in the New Testament. The response of joy and gladness, of happiness, not only a deep inward feeling, but is expressed in celebration when God's people gather together. It's not based upon outward circumstance or conditions. It's based upon the hope that we have in Messiah. James, in his encouraging words, says, consider it all joy. My brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Now watch what he says. He doesn't say pray that it goes away. He says let endurance have its perfect work. 
Why? So that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Why does James say that? Because he knows what trials do to you. Trials cause you to evaluate who you are. Trials cause you to evaluate where you are in your faith. What are you trusting in? Who do you trust in? Who do you rely on when everything else is failing? It's powerful. In verse 6, Peter begins to develop this present aspect regarding the character of a believer's salvation when he tells them to rejoice. This present aspect includes rejoicing in trials. Not when everything goes your way. Yeah, we should rejoice. We should celebrate. We talked about this last week. When someone in our community, man, man, a prayer is answered or something happens, we should rejoice with them. But it doesn't always happen that way, does it? I mean, how would you feel if you lose someone that you're really close to and a brother or sister comes up and says, man, just rejoice. Rejoice. I don't know why you're all down and out, man. You should just be rejoicing. Come here, buddy. Right? But that's what the Bible tells us to do. Rejoice. See, this living hope is enjoyed in the midst of suffering because the believer's life does not exclude grief. I think we need to see that sometimes, right? That it includes grief. This life is, here's the thing, look. No one would disagree that we live in a broken world. I want you to hear that again. We live in a broken world, a world of suffering, a world of grief, a world of loss. Why? Not because God's will it, but because it's broken. They've denied Messiah. They've left Messiah. They've left the ways of God. And what has happened? There's two umbrellas to get under. There's the umbrella of the Father, and there's the umbrella of the world. And when we're in the world and of this world right now, this is what's going to happen. That's why in the new kingdom to come, what does Messiah say? There's no crying, there's no grief, there's no sorrow. Why? Doing things his way. It's a kingdom established by him and not by the world here. The Greek word for rejoice means rejoice greatly. It is used by Peter three times in in his text, in his letter. Uh, In 6, what we've already read, in verse 8, which we'll read here in a minute, and verse 4, chapter 4, verse 13. And again, it means to exalt, to be overjoyed. Some of you came in this morning, as we're getting ready to gather, you didn't look very overjoyed. You're like, okay, they're going to get this done, or the elder's going to call me, or something's going to happen, you know. And the word rejoice is not found anywhere in secular Greek, but its usage is common in the New Testament, which is interesting. Very interesting. One of my favorite passages is right here with Jesus. This is Jesus' words, right? He says, rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. He tells us rejoice, and he tells us why. And then what does he say? For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That's what's going to happen. For the same way, you're going to get persecuted. Okay, I'm in. Sign me up. Sign me up. I'm ready I'm ready for it, man. Let's persecute. Oh, come on, bring the persecute. Nobody ever says that. Nobody. But what was Jesus talking about? Well, Jesus knew the Torah, right? He knows it. Let's look back here. 2 Chronicles 36. Verse 16, but they mocked the messengers of God and despised his words. If they did it to the prophets, don't don't be amazed that they'll do it to you when you walk in and say, hey, I found Torah. What? Oh, you think you're holier than us. You think you're more righteous than us. 
of God and despised his words and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath, wrath of Adonai rose against his people until there was no remedy. Wow. What did they do to the prophets? They scoffed them. They despised them. Today we think, man, oh, you know, it, you know, right now in the you know, current conditions, if somebody unfriends us because we love Jesus, we think we're being persecuted. Come on, man. Look, at, look, at, look here at Nehemiah 9.26. Powerful. Nonetheless, they became contentious and rebelled against you. They cast your Torah behind their back. They killed their prophets who warned them to return to you. They committed appalling blasphemies. Listen, when you, and let me say it like this too. We've talked about this at Sukkot. I absolutely love the conversation we were having. We, 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 we kind of get misguided a little bit. We think that it's just because of Torah that we'll be persecuted. Can, can I share with you that if you really go all in for Jesus, forget the Torah for a second. Of course, none of you in the room go, what? That's not what I mean. Calm down, all right? Hear my heart for a minute. Because I know a lot of people, man, that even in, the, even in our, our messianic communities who are so lukewarm. And it's when you turn and you look at Messiah and you develop this, this crazy laser focus, and it is crazy because it's going to go against the world. Right? I mean, when you have that laser focus, everything becomes, and you will become the stranger. You will become the weirdo. We've talked about this before. We already know you're weird, okay? If you don't know it, you are. If no one's called you... You are. You're just weird, okay? We are weird. Why? Because we, we, we go against the things of this world and the culture. And the more this happens, the more we grow into the things of Messiah, the more it's going to happen. Messiah gives the assurance that the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Perhaps it is significant that Yeshua elaborates on this truth, noting that people even insult you and tell all kinds of vicious lies about you. It is a bad, it's bad enough that some people would do such things, but it becomes all the more stunning when we realize it is as Yeshua says, because you follow me. See, when we go all in for Messiah, when we, we sell out, you will become the stranger. Sometimes people just have problems with those who follow Yeshua. This seems totally unfair and it's quite disheartening, but it's true. Just for the very fact that you love Jesus. Just for the very fact that Messiah is your Lord, and you don't even have to wear the zeet zeet or, or talk about Torah, but just because they know who you are. Yet it's for this very reason they were, that we are told to rejoice and be glad. For our reward in heaven is great, and we can also take some comfort in the reality that even though the prophets of Israel were persecuted in the same way, indeed, Yeshua himself was fiercely persecuted, persecuted, by those who are threatened by his message. And any time you step into a reality, whatever that reality might be, and you disrupt it, you become an enemy. You get marked. We need to understand this. The season we are in, if things continue in the trajectory that we're on right now, it is not just going to be a faux pas to be messianic, to be a believer in Jesus. It's going to become illegal. I want you to feel that for a moment. I want you to think about that. Have you considered the cost of what it costs you to follow Messiah? 
we can look around the world, and I believe this, that many of us in this room, if not most of us, will see the coming of our Lord. There's something going on. I'm not prophecy, and I'm not going to prophesy or any of that stuff, right? But, man, looking at the events in our, in our history, you'd be crazy to think, man, are we in the end times? Yes. And persecution is going to get worse. The question is, are you ready to suffer? Are you ready for that trial? Are you ready for that testing? Then embrace the testing that you're going through right now. And not embrace it just to ignore it, but embrace it to go, okay, hey, what's going on inside my heart? It needs to be for his sake as the people become dispersed. Read some statistics, man. I was talking to Scott. He, we got to really share him about this, man. Look at this. This is 2023. This isn't 1941 or 1942. Watch this. In 2023 alone, Open Doors World Watch list reports that 5,621 Christians were murdered. This is 2023, people. 2,110 churches were attacked and 4,542 Christians were detained. More than 360 million Christians suffer high levels of persecution and discrimination for their faith. It's a 20 million increase from 2022. Let that sink in for a moment. Not 200, not 2,000, but 20 million people are suffering some form of high-level persecution, whether it's their family being arrested and then thrown into prisons, whether it's losing their actual life, or having everything stripped from them. This is the world that we're currently living in. In the United States right now, we're, we're kind of buffered, aren't we, right now? We're kind of protected right now. But listen, church, we know. Look at the signs of the times. It's coming. And this is why I tell people, man, embrace whatever it is you're going through right now, whatever storm you may be in. Let, embrace it. Why? Not for the sake of embracing it to be a martyr, Right? And for the sake of going, okay, Lord, what's in here? I want my roots to be deep when the storm comes. Right? You know, oak trees, right? They're not like other trees. They have a, uh, what's it called? It's a, uh, a taproot that dries soup. That's why they're able to hold the storms of life when they come, right? These storms, because they have this huge taproot. I'm constantly asking the Lord, man, make it run deep. So that when that storm hits me, man, I can stand and withstand whatever comes our way. Man, this is powerful. It's been investigated and found that no fewer than 1,041 defenseless Christians were children, young people may need to have their ears covered for this. 1,041 defenseless Christians were hacked to death by Nigerians jihadists in the first 100 days of 2023. Question is, did you see it on the media? Sure did. Also, no fewer than 707 Christians were abducted within the same period. Going by our findings warranting the special investigation report that I read, the number of Christians killed in the country for non-violently professing Christianity between July 2009 and April 2023 has risen to 52,250 people. According to a report that was titled Martyred Christians in Nigeria. That's just one country. 
There are countries that we are currently we're supporting right now that we can't even mention the names of it because if it gets out that we're supporting this country, that people will be killed. This is part of where your giving goes to, by the way. See, we can walk outside right now, all of us, right, and just, we can shout Yeshua, we can take our shofars out there and blow them, right, and just, wow, praise the Lord, right? If they do that, they'll be killed. Why am I telling you this? Not to make you feel doom and gloom, but to say, hey, it's time to build some deep roots in our life and embrace these trials and these tribulations that we tend to be facing in America today. Truly, this is what separates all other religions because Yeshua experienced that same grief, that same persecution that comes from these temporary earthly trials. And we're told in the book of Hebrews, which I absolutely love, right? It's, what does it say in Hebrews? Therefore, he had to be made like, made like his brothers in all things so that he might become merciful and faithful, Kohen Gadol, that's the high priest, in matters relating to God, to make atonement for the sins of the people. In other words, he could not just come into this world and be God. He had to experience everything that we do and go through because he himself suffered when put to the test. He is able to help those being tested. Powerful. How is Yeshua? How can we celebrate Yeshua? Because he understands who and what we are and the, how frail we are because he experienced it. Jumping down to verse chapter 4, verse 15, for we do not have a Kohen Gadol, a high priest, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all the same ways, yet without sin. Most of us know this scripture. Powerful. Powerful. Let's not, I, I, want, I want to say this. Listen to me this morning. Sometimes it's easy for us as humans to just think, well, you know, you know, he, he, he can't possibly know what we're going through. Let's not mistake something. Yeshua is fully God and fully man. That's why I thought you were cheating on me by taking my notes from me. He was not, nor ever will be, mortal as you and I are. That's the power of grace with Yahweh, isn't it? He comes to us as a man of what purpose to do what we could not do. Reminds me of this amazing story that we find in the history pages of our ancestors. It says, This great work was indeed supremely worthy of the goodness of God, a king who has found a city so far from neglecting it when though the carelessness of the inhabitants it is attacked by robbers, avenges it and saves it from destruction, having regard rather to his own honor than to the people's neglect. Much more than the word of the all-good Father was not unmindful of the human race that he had called to be, but rather by the offering of his own body, he abolished the death which they had incurred and corrected their neglect by his own teaching. Thus, by his own power, he restored the whole nature of man. God in his, who he is, creator of the heavens and the earth. Right? We just read that in, in, our, in, our, in our Torah portion. This amazing father who called things into being, what did he do? He came down in the form of flesh to endure what we would endure. To face the trial, to face the temptation, to feel the heartache. I once thought something, you know, did Jesus ever cough? Right? Did he ever have a hiccup? You know them kind like you just can't get rid of? Right? The son of God, you know, sitting in front of his mom, Mary, just can't stop it. He was just like you and me. Just like you and I. 
You cannot forget this. Powerful. This is what Yahweh did for us. Not only does he establish his kingdom, but was willing to save that by giving up his life for us. He comes to us as flesh and blood, demonstrating to us how we are to live, dies in our stay, and then invites us to join the kingdom to live eternally. That's the gospel. It's not just that we were sinners, but he came down and he can sympathize for us because he knows trials. He knows what it's like. We jump over to Timothy, 1 Timothy 3.15, verse 16. It says, if I am delayed, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the bulwark of our faith. Verse 16, without any doubt, the mystery of our religion is great. He was revealed in flesh, vindicated in spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the Gentiles, believed throughout the world, and taken up in glory. This is our Savior. This is our God. This is who we worship. Powerful. And even in the older manuscripts, when we go to the apostolic fathers, we see the same, the same, uh, the, the same language. In the Apostolic Fathers here, it says, For the divine prophets lived according to Christ Yeshua. Because of this, they were persecuted, being inspired by His grace to fully convince the disobedient that there is one God who revealed Himself through Messiah, who is His Word, that came forth from silence, who in everything pleased the one who sent Him. This is powerful. We've already used my scripture that I was going to use this morning. Thank you very much, brother. We'll talk later. Powerful. In many of the original manuscripts, we read that God was revealed in this place, right? Yes, double. I'll bring that back. Why is that there? That's out of place. I'm going to come back to that. I may have to remind me. Hallelujah. Forgive me all. But where have we seen that language before that we just read? Haven't we seen that somewhere before? I'm going to go. There we go. Look here. Haven't we seen this somewhere before? And the Word became what? Flesh and tabernacled among us. We just came out of Sukkot. John copied my notes already. We looked upon His glory, the glory of the one and only from the Father, full of grace and truth. They recognized it. We can recognize it too. This is powerful. You may say, well, Pastor Mike, what does this have to do with anything? Everything. The point is this, and it's simple, that God understands our pain. He understands our suffering. He understands the trials and the testing that we find ourselves in. All of us living in this world until Messiah returns are going to face hardships. It's how we face them that matters. It's how we face them. Looking back upon Peter, I want you to notice that he speaks to those who have been dispersed, and we've talked about this already. Notice the absence of excuses. He doesn't give excuses. Oh, you should be, oh, poor boy, poor girl, poor family, poor you, poor this. He says, man, you're rejoicing under these trials. Great stuff. And why? Why are these so important? Look at this, going back to the apostolic fathers again. It says, and the gold part represents you who have escaped this world, for just as the gold is tested by the fire and becomes useful, so also you who dwell among them are tested. 
This is all about testing. This is all about getting the, the stuff that's in our hearts and that we don't tend to recognize. That the Lord allows testing to happen. Why? To remove the dross. So that the gold, the gold can come to the surface. The gold of what maybe you don't even know who you are. And there's gold inside you and you're still living kind of this world. And God says, I'm going to get that stuff out. But the way it happens is through the trials. It's through the tribulations, right? Proverbs 17 and 3. A crucible is for silver and a furnace for the gold. But Adonai tests the heart. This is all about a testing that happens inside us. I don't want us to... uh, I don't want us also to excuse away some of the trials that we face. As believers in Messiah, trials are a natural part of life. How else can we be refined as gold? How else does the Father reveal the dross of our life or the blind spots that are in us? I want, you, I want to go back to Peter. Notice what Peter says. He's talking about these rejoicing, but notice what he says to them about how you're able to go through the rejoicing. This is the verse right above 6, what we read, right? By trusting, you're being protected by God's power for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. What's Peter saying? He said the reason why you're able to, uh, you know, go through these trials is because of this right here, because you're trusting that you know that you've been protected. You're waiting on Messiah. See, Peter understood that it's not about the here and now. That's about what's coming. It's about what's going to come. It's powerful scripture. This is why, this is why behind all of that stuff, they can rejoice. Not that this world is their home, but because they are protected for salvation. In other words, we can rejoice that no matter the circumstance that we encounter, the testing and the trying of our faith, but because of our hope and our joy in Messiah, we will, who will and is, going to be coming again. Messiah's coming. Rejoice in that. No matter what you have, here's what, let me say this, this is off off track for a second, imagine that. Here's what I I want you to hear, watch this, is that some of you are going through some big stuff right now. You are. The question is, what are you doing with it? And some of you are trying to wish it away and pray that it would go away, and you're like, oh, I just wish this would stop. But let me tell you something. God is revealing something to you. I'm going to show you something here real quick. Right? Joel 2.21, watch. Do not fear, O land, be glad, rejoice, for Adonai has done great things. This is our focus, right? Here's the thing. Testing... Write this up there. I think we're wrestling here. There we go. Testing. No? Okay. Testing reveals what is concealed. Testing reveals what is concealed. When we begin to test, it really uproots what is hidden in our lives and in our hearts. It's it's the blind spots we just talked about. The sole purpose of Yahweh testing his children is he already knows, he already knows what's in your heart. He already knows who you are. He already knows the, the shortcomings in your life. Now here's, somebody's going to get set free this morning. I want you to hear me what I'm about to tell you. I'm going to ask you a question that I've asked so many people. I wish I had a bucket up here, but I don't. But I'm going to ask you a question. What's in your bucket? What's in your bucket? Pastor Mike, what are you talking about? 
Testing reveals what is concealed, what's truly in your heart. I'm, I'm going to show you something that I, I told the guys this morning. I'm going to do a little bit of counseling from the platform. And I love doing this stuff sometimes because I think it speaks volumes in our heart. Some of you are responding to situations in your life and you're blaming the other person or the situation. But let me share something. Jesus said, out of the abundance of a man's heart will he speak. And as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. See, your response to whatever the situation is, is a direct result of what's in your heart already. How many of you ever, without a show of hands, don't show your hands, don't, don't tell on yourself. But how many of you ever said the comment like, he makes me so angry. She just makes me, she just frustrates me so much. I can't believe they did that to make me do this. My brothers and sisters, that is a false, false ideology. Because all that's happening is whatever trial or test that you're in is the Lord is exposing, allowing people to pull out what's already in the overflow of your heart. See, as Christians, you know what we're really good at? You know what we're really good as Christians? Camouflage. We're really good about it, John, because we can come into, come into service on Shabbat and we can hide, we can act a particular way for a set amount of time. Like, I only have to put this facade up for two hours, maybe, if you, if you don't stay for Oneg. And if you do for Oneg, well, I'm going to be eating most of that time and stuff in my face, so I'll, I won't have to reveal myself then, right? See, I'm, I'm going to tell myself, be a little transparent. Some of y'all don't, don't, don't like look at me when I tell you what I'm about to tell you, but I think it's necessary for, this, for, for what I'm about to tell you. So some of y'all know this story. You know, I used to be a party animal. I know, hard to believe, right? And one of the things I loved was honky-tonk. I mean, I would go, I could, I could tear up a dance floor, right? That's where I met Robin, by the way. If you didn't know, I picked Robin up at a bar. Right? I, yeah, I knew. Now, that's not the... There you go. She's like, so mad at me, man. But the thing about it is we had a, we had a group of people, and y'all know, we had people that we kind of... When you were, if you didn't do it, we did do it, and, and I don't... We had a group of people that we hung out with. We all were going to be there at the same time, and it was on base in the military, and, and we knew and we had a group of people that we hung out with. And what we realized, especially after becoming a believer, one of the things I realized is how alcohol reveals the true nature of a person's heart. Because when you're sober, you can put the guards up, right? You can act a certain way. You can be a certain way. But once you become intoxicated, this is why Scripture tells us not to be uh, intoxicated with drink because it leads to dispensation, or really what it does is it leads you to act like a non-believer. It reveals what's really in your heart, and that's what we would notice in that place. We would see people who are really super quiet all of a sudden become angry, and they want to fight everybody in the place, right? Or those little short guys, right? They would have a couple of uh, bottles of courage, not mention anybody's name, right? And would want to fight the biggest guy in the club, Right? like trying to prove themselves. Why? Because in their bucket, what they were trying to conceal became exposed. And here's what happens now in the body of Messiah. That's why we want to be filled with what Paul said, be filled with the Spirit. Why? Because the Spirit will reveal your intentions. The Spirit will reveal what's in your bucket. And we don't want to reveal that stuff. Because out of your bucket is what's going to happen. What do you mean? If I'm standing with a group of you, and I have a, well, I don't have a cup of coffee, but if I had my cup of coffee, and all y'all know I drink a lot of coffee. And if I'm standing there, and that coffee is filled to the brim, 
and we're just sitting around me and uh, Ronnie and you know Dustin and Steve we're all just sitting around and Courtney I'm going to pick on Courtney today she's having a bad day and she just comes running through the group and she hits me in the back what's going to happen come on what's going to happen coffee's going to spill where everywhere and on everybody you see whatever's in the overflow of your heart when life hits you and it will hit you is going to go out on everybody you will be like it's the it's the uh what was it stand by me right y'all remember some of y'all folks remember the stand by me the pukerama right it's gonna go yeah right y'all remember that show right and it's just like one person does it then another person does it everything that you have in your bucket is going to come out and when you life hits you disagreements happen offense happens Whatever is in the overflow of your heart is what's going to come out of you. You can't hide it, church. This is why we should embrace those moments. And you may be in the middle of one of those right now. And what you need to do is just take a step back, count to three, and go, wait a minute, something's being revealed in me. Why did I get angry? Why am I offended? Come on now, it got quiet in this Methodist church. Come on now, right? You got an offense in you, and it's not the person. God just allowed that person with the ladle. And they just reached down in there in that heart of yours, and they just drew out whatever is your overflow. Because here's the thing. If we're truly walking in the Spirit, 1 Corinthians says that love is not easily offended. So if I'm overflowing in love and I get bumped, love comes out. Oh, man, I'm sorry, brother. I'm sorry, sister. Right? It doesn't hold no wrongs. I had a conversation with someone during Sukkot. And I, and I thought maybe that I had offended them. And I went to this person. I said, man, if I offended you, and I loved what his response was, he said, you can't offend me. That's a person that's walking in the love of Messiah. And that's what we should be. That's our response as we walk in love. If I'm filled with love, that's what's going to come out. If I'm filled with peace and shalom, then no matter what's happening around me, I can still keep my bearing. I don't get frustrated. I don't start yelling at my wife or my children. I'm, 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 I'm in depth to what is in my heart, what's overflowing out of my bucket. Some of you need to have your bucket checked. And what some of you need to do during worship is reach into your heart, dump out the bucket, and then ask the Holy Spirit, please, fill me with what pleases you. If you have, listen, that's not even in the notes. Listen, if you are a fearful person, you know why fear is in your life? This is going to go right into the bucket message. You know why? Some of y'all ain't going to like me after this. The Bible says that perfect love drives out fear. So if you walk in fear and trepidation, I'm not talking about fear and honor of the Lord. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a fear of whatever, fear of financial loss, fear of your children passing away earlier than they should. You have this petrified fear in your life, and that's what drives you. Let me tell you something. You're not walking in love because those two cannot coexist together. Perfect love drives out fear. I preached a message on this one time, and I know some of y'all are Dallas Cowboy fans. All right, that's cool. You know, whatever. You know, how about them Niners? How are they doing about oh, We're moving on through that, all right? Praise God. I know, I know. I know they're, they're the big... I was just told by a Cowboy fan, uh, I'm not going to mention because I don't want you to jump him, and I love him, um, said that, that the 49ers have the best team in the NFL right now. Praise God. No celebrating. Huh? I figured. Okay, praise God. But some of you Cowboy fans, right, remember this guy named Emmett Smith, right? Some, you know, uh, he's an old dude now, by the way. But Emmett Smith did something. Some of you all have heard me say this before. He, he was known for one thing, and I, that's one of the reasons why I like uh, Emmett. 
as a running back is because he knew how to sniff on someone. Right? Some of y'all cowboy fans, you know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, he could just like he'd be running full speed at a sprint and he'd stick that arm out into the into a in a defender's face and his helmet would be all twisted up. Man, it was great. That and that gave such a beautiful picture of what the Bible says when it says that perfect love drives out fear. See, if I'm walking in love, God's love, this agape love, right, and fear or trepidation, right, comes at me, love stiff arms it so that it can't take you down. I want you to have that picture in your brain, right, in your head. Why? Because some of you are not walking in love. You're walking in fear. Some of you are not walking in forgiveness. You're walking in bitterness and strife. Why? It's what's in your heart. This is why we do freedom sessions. This is not even going to be a plug, but here it goes, right? This is why you need freedom session. Because freedom goes into the heart and has operation, and we peel back what is really in your heart, and why do you respond to certain situations this way? And some of you sit there and go, well, I don't need freedom session. Really? So what is your drug of choice? Isolation when you get upset? You run? You go to Facebook, social media, and you drown yourself in that false garbage? Is that what you do? Or do you retaliate? Do you fight and argue and feel like you've got to get the last word in? That's not love, and that's not healthy. Some of you don't even know how to have a healthy conversation with someone without calling them names or berating them so bad because you've got to get that last word in. That's not healthy. And in a community of believers who, by the way, many of us have been broken and or still broken, we need to go into that bucket and pull it out and go, man, I need to dump this garbage out of my life. Because it doesn't please the Father. It doesn't make disciples. It doesn't shine the light of Yeshua in the other people. But we got to be bold. we got to be courageous. we got to be willing to be upfront about those issues. This is why Epic Life Church does freedom sessions. Because we want you to be free. And when you are free, let me tell you something, our community becomes freer. Every time you're willing to deal with the stuff that's in your heart, that's in your life, you make the community freer. But the opposite is true, too. When you have a bucket that's filled with resentment, bitterness, strife, fear, animosity, I can go on. I got a lot of adjectives. Right? Name it, whatever yours is. Perversion, addiction, controlling issues. You make the community unhealthy. And we want you to be free. The greatest step to freedom is the first step. Right? Everybody knows that. It's admitting there's an issue. Some of you act a certain way and you don't even know why, and it may be because you were hurt so long ago. You know, did you know this little psychological stuff here? I know. But the Lord wants me to do it. Do you know that you're not born with animosity? Did you know that? You're not born with fear. You're not born with anger and bitterness and resentment. You're not born with any of that stuff. You know how it comes? Because maybe a mom and daddy did something or said something. Maybe it was an uncle. Maybe it was a friend. Somewhere disappointment got dropped in your life. Somebody promised you something and did the opposite. Someone said they would never hurt you, but they did. And by the time you were 10, 11, 12 years old, man, Everything that you thought about life as a young person, as a child, was completely wiped away. And you had to try to figure out how to fiend for yourself. And what did you do? You put blocks up. And you put these blocks up. So now you're in the body of Messiah where there should be freedom. And what are we doing? We're hurting each other. 
That's not the body of Messiah. And that's not a healthy because your bucket needs to be empty. That's what I love about worship. Because worship is the opportunity for us to empty the bucket in front of our Father. And by the way, He already knows it's there. He already knows. He knows what's in your bucket. And you know what? Despite that, you know what He says? I love you. And when you take that step forward and you, you go to the Father and you say, and I know it's scary, right? I know because you don't want anyone else to know, but God already knows. And he says, man, I need you to take a step forward. Why? Because those things which are done in secret will be brought to the light. And those things that are done in secret that we think, that think nobody's going to know, it will come out. And the enemy can use that in the dark. But when you expose your life to the light of Christ, and you say, you know what? I know these trials are doing. They're doing something for me. They're revealing to me what's really in my heart. And so what I'm going to do is go, God, get that out of there. I don't like that. I don't want that. And I know you don't either. Then God comes in and he puts his hand on you. And then it hurts for a minute because you got to pull the roots of that stuff out of you. It may require you to forgive. It may require you to humble yourself from pride. It may require you to go talk to somebody and say, you know what? I missed it. Please forgive me. The greatest language that God has given us is the act of forgiveness. It's the greatest, greatest, most powerful weapon we have. It disarms the enemy. It disarms him. He can't do nothing with people who have a, a heart to forgive. He can't do nothing. He, he, enemy cannot touch a person whose heart is empty of themselves and filled with the spirit of Yahweh. He can't touch him. He can try. Doesn't mean that he won't try, right? But he's powerful. Powerful. I'm going to move on. I'm going to get out of here. Praise God. I can do this all day, guys. This is my heart. Job 23 and 10. Yet he knows the way that I take. Notice who notice. He notices. If he tested me, I would come out as gold. Here's the question. If the Lord's testing you, what's coming out of you? Is it gold? Are you being refined right now? It doesn't feel good? Let it happen. Let it move in your life. Testing proves to us whether, oh, let me get back there, whether we will obey and listen to or do our own thing, whether we truly obey Yahweh or not. How do we overcome the tribulations? I love this. How do we overcome? Here we go. Here's, here's what you all been waiting for all day, right? Here it is. Three words. We stop right there. Focus on Yeshua. Stop focusing on the fail, failures of everybody else around us and begin to focus on Yeshua, the initiator, the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and he has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Going down to, uh, moving up to verse 3. Consider him. Consider Messiah who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you may not grow weary in your souls and lose heart. What do we do when we find ourselves being tested and tried? We focus on Jesus. We don't focus on the person that may be offending us. We don't focus on our spouse. Remember what the word says, I, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of this dark world. We're not fighting each other. The devil wants us to think that we are. Man, remember who your enemy is. Don't miss that. Now the worship team, go ahead and come. Romans 6, 21. So then, what outcome did you have that you are now ashamed of? For the end of these things is death. The end of everything is death. 
You're either going <laughs> to... I got to say it. You're either going to die now or die later. And I'm telling you, young people, I want you to hear this. You're either going to die now or you're going to die later. I would rather die right now. I'd rather lay my life out and say, God, whatever I have is lost. I consider all things rubbish for the sake of the cross. You're either going to bow now or bow later. Bow now, it's easier. <laughs> right? Let's bow now. Let's be willing to say, you know what? I'm surrendering. Let's, I don't need the last word. I, I, I don't need to get this way in my life. I don't need this in my life. I'm going to bow now. God is revealing things to me. I'm going to bow and I'm going to bow now. All right, where am I at? Having been enslaved to God, but now having been set free from sin and having been enslaved to God, you have your fruit resulting in holiness. What happens when we surrender? Holiness. Holiness. And the outcome is eternal life. Jumping over to verse 23. For sin's payment is death. Let's not forget that. All sin is a result of death. Even, listen to me, believer, if you are activating and allowing sin to be in your life, you're operating in the form of death and not life. What? Yeah, truth. In other words, if you have bitterness and strife in your life, that's death. Because that's not what Jesus said to do. Jesus said to love your brethren as you love Christ, or as, as you love yourself. You say you love God? Well, this is what he said we should look like and act like as followers, that we take the testing, we endure the testing, and we move on. For since payment is death, but God's gracious gift is eternal life in the sight of you, our Lord. Everyone stand to their feet. Here's what I want to do for the next few minutes as he, as he prays. I'll come up and, and we're going to wrap it up here in a minute. Here's what I want to do. Let God have divine and holy heart surgery today. You may be going through some stuff right now. As a parent, you may be going through something with your child. As, as, as a child, you may have this broken relationship with your parent. As, as a person, as a follower Messiah, you may have issues that are going on in your life and you don't know what you're to do. Here's what I challenge. Put a mirror to it. Put a mirror. Let a mirror shine on that thing, whatever it might be. Why? Let God expose what's your reaction to the trials and the stuff that's going on in your life. Let him have it. Let him have surgery.